Wonderful to see you here tonight. You know, we should never get tired. I know physically we get tired, but we should never get tired of lifting up hands to the Lord and praising God and singing of our Redeemer who purchased us. You know, the angels around the throne of God are continually singing, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord. Wonderful to see you here tonight. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. We're continuing our study in 1 Timothy. I want to back up. This is, this is a little bit of what we're reading is a little review. We're not going to go back over that as far as teaching goes. But I want you to look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. We're going to read through, uh, through verse 12. 1 Timothy 2, 8. I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Let the woman learn in subjection with, learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Okay, we're going to teach this tonight. We're going to talk about it. I don't ever want to be afraid of a passage of Scripture. I'm not going to be afraid of a passage of Scripture. I'm not going to be afraid to study it, to, to receive from the Lord the whole counsel, and to teach it. Okay, as God gives me, I'll only go as far as I know. It's only as far as I feel that has been revealed to me by the Scriptures. Okay, that is what the Bible says. That is what Paul says, or the Holy Spirit through Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 2. I'll read it again. Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. All right, so I'm going to, what I would like to do, I've been studying this for weeks and weeks. This is not just something I got through together this afternoon. I've been studying for weeks just for this message, okay, and for this teaching. And I would like to give an overview. I think that's the Lord have me, the way the Lord would have me to do it is give an overview tonight and then start breaking it down more specifically. Okay, to give an overview, we might continue this same thought next week. We'll just see where we end up. But first of all, what are these epistles about? What are First and Second Timothy and Titus specifically? They're about. They're they're known as the pastoral epistles, and they they give. There's a lot of different themes. You know, sound doctrine and and how to pray and different things uh, how to dress. But it has to do with order. It has specifically to do with order. In, in the assembly, I would say, in the local church, in the public assembly like we're doing tonight. It has to do with get God's order. How many of you know that God ha- does have an order? God is a God of order. I say it all the time. He's not a God of chaos. He spoke into chaos, basically, and spoke and said, let there be light, right? And, and things started to come into order in creation. Uh, and so God is very orderly. And now that a person is born again and in Christ, it's, we, we talk about liberty and freedom. He that the Son is set free is free indeed. Stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That liberty is not an occasion to be lawless, though. It's not an occasion to just run around, you know, without any kind of restraints. 
We're restrained by the Holy Ghost. We're directed and guided by the Word of God and our Good Shepherd. He's very orderly. Now, we're free from sin and a bondage to sin. And, we, uh, and there's a freedom in Christ and a liberty in Christ that is unquestionable. But that doesn't mean God is disorderly or without order or a God of chaos. Okay? Uh, he is not. And so this has to do with what we've been teaching about all through 1 Timothy and specifically here in these two verses. They have to do with God's order in the assembly. And so God's order is for men to lead. Okay, I'm waiting to see if there's any kind of... <laughs> there shouldn't be. There shouldn't, it's not an offense to women. It's not a put down to women. It is God's order. We see it all through the scripture. Men are to lead. Now, there's also going, there should be, uh, and we're going to read some verses here in just a moment, but there needs to be a maturity and a holiness in the men if they're going to lead. That would be orderly as well. You wouldn't want a, an ungodly, lost person or a profane person or uh, something like that to be leading in the church or the public assembly or something like that. So everybody... Husbands are to be submitted. I mean, wives are to be submitted to their own husbands. Men are to have the lead. That is what is taught in the Bible. That's very clear. I don't have to try to prove that to you tonight from the scriptures. I think we understand that, that God has an order. It's not a disrespect towards women. It is simply an order. Being a vice president is not being, just for example, okay, a disrespected position, maybe nowadays, but uh, compared to the presidency, they're just different. Somebody has to lead, right? Somebody has to lead. God's order is for the man to lead. That is without question clearly taught in the scriptures. That man also is to be, the woman is to be submitted to the man, and the man is to be submitted to the Lord, and both are to be submitted to the Lord. In any which way, if it gets out of order, it's going to be disorderly and it's not going to be of God. If the woman tries to usurp the authority and have the, the, the lead role when it is not given to her in God's government, if you want to say, it's not going to work. It's not of God. Also, if the man is ungodly and not stepping up to his role to be the leader, spiritual leader, on his face before God, studying the word of God, leading his family, if he has a family, in the things of God, participating and ministering in the church, among the, among the body. Men have to be a godly and mature and holy and submitted to Christ, okay? Now, problems arise when this order is not followed. What we see in the scriptures... Uh, for example, in 1 Corinthians, and we're going to look at some scriptures there. Okay, 1 Corinthians, there was disorder. It was chaos. It was not of God. And it wasn't just women, but there's, there are some problems highlighted with how the women were behaving in the church in Corinth, at least in 1 Corinthians, and evidently in the church in Ephesus as well, that Paul is writing 1 Timothy to, who Timothy is the pastor of the church of Ephesus. Um, I'll give an example for, for the gifts of the Spirit. Now, this is not a study on the gifts of the Spirit, but we are going to look at some of that because it deals with some of what we're talking about. If in our church service, uh, D stands up and, and is given a, a, a tongue, 
and nobody stands up to give the interpretation doesn't mean that it wasn't of God. It may or may not have been of God, and it probably was of the Lord, okay? Especially knowing those that labor among you, okay? But if nobody's given interpretations, then stop giving tongues. That is really what's taught in the scriptures. Even though it's a genuine gift of the Spirit, the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. My point is, if people kept standing up, it's one thing if you're at the altar and you're praying sort of to your, under your breath, so to speak, in your prayer language. That's one thing. That's not out of order. But if you stand up in the praise and worship service, or we have a quiet time where people are praying, and you stand up very vocally, God gave you a tongue. That is a gift of the Spirit. That we want that and desire that. Desire spiritual gifts, the Bible says. But if nobody is given the interpretation, then the next person that has a tongue and the next and the next should not do it. That's just an example. What would that be? That would be out of order. Not that the gift wasn't genuine, but it was out of order in that service because there's not an interpreter and we don't know what she's saying. You'll understand the point of that. It's just an example of disorder in the local assembly, in the public assembly. So that would be an, an example of it. Um, Men, again, I, th I think it's very important, and I'm just giving an overview tonight, and we'll get as far as we can get. I think it's not an excuse. There's never an excuse for a woman, woman to usurp authority over a man. There's never an, an excuse for a woman to step into a role that is not given to her a calling by God. There's never a reason for that. But at the same time, I will say this, that if more men would step up and be obedient to being leaders, doesn't mean everybody's called to preach and be a pastor, but if men would step up and be leaders in the prayer meetings and in the local assembly more and more vocal and more leading and prepared and anointed and called and studied and ready and prayed up, that a lot of those problems would take care of themselves. Mm -hmm. So that is, that is the truth. And so uh, now there is no scriptural support I don't see any scriptural support for a woman pastor, for a woman bishop, or elder. And we're going to look at some of these later in, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, qualifications for a deacon. I don't see a scriptural support for a woman pastor and leader of the local assembly. All right. Our women, we just read the scripture, let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. I'm going to define a few of those words. Subjection means subordination. Okay, subordination. And so, uh, let, but I suffer not a woman to teach nor, two, two things, to teach nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. So usurp means to have power over. To usurp means to have power over. There's no place where the woman in the church, I would say in the marriage, obviously in the home, we, we know all about marriage and we study the scriptures, where the, doesn't mean she doesn't have an opinion, doesn't mean she doesn't have a ministry, it doesn't mean she doesn't have value and worth and usefulness to God and the kingdom of God and so forth. It means she's not to have, to usurp, means to have the power over the man. Okay, that is taught right here in the Bible, and we see it in other places as well. Now, are women forbidden to speak at all in church? I'm going to say this. If we had this passage, just this passage, 
1 Timothy 11 and 12. And there were, in the whole other 66 books of the Bible, there was never a reference to it for or against. And that's all we had. And another passage in 1 Corinthians, which we're going to read, then we would have to say, this is the reality. This is, this is it. Are women forbidden in the whole counsel of God, though, to speak at all in church? Are there in the Bible, and let's say in the New Testament, in the church, if we want to divide it up, Old Testament and New Testament, and it's good to do that. Are there examples of women speaking in church? Just let it sink in for a second, where, where it's actually commended and it's not forbidden. Do we see examples of women speaking in church? Just hang on to it. We'll answer it in, in a little bit. I want you to turn with me. I'm, I really have a lot to say. I'm not going to rush through this. It's important. It's important. And I don't want us to be uh, give place to the devil, and I don't want to bring division. I want to do my best, as led by the Holy Spirit, according to the Scriptures, to see God's perfect will on this. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. What we read in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and what we're about to read in 1 Corinthians would be the clearest, absolutely clearest, what would appear to be prohibitions against a woman ever speaking in church. All right? So I'm giving you these first. 1 Corinthians 14, this is a chapter on the order in the church and specifically the orders of the gifts of the Spirit, like I mentioned a moment ago about the tongues without an interpreter, a prophecy without... Uh, uh, too many prophecies in a row. You know what I mean? There's actually, let it be two or three at the most, Paul said. You know, that's order. That's all that is. It's order. It's, it's honestly, those gifts are from God, but so is the pastor and the word that God's given him. And there needs to be a place for that. So things can be out of order, whether it's men or women. But look at this, chapter 14, verses 32 through 35. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. That means the Holy Spirit does not just come. Word of wisdom, word of knowledge, tongues, interpretation of tongues, gifts, the miracles, the healings, the gift of faith. That's what's mentioned in 1 Corinthians 12. The, the Holy Ghost does not so come upon a person that that person literally cannot control themselves. If it's really of God, they're not out of control. They're not going haywire. They don't become a robot. And, and like in a trance, God can send a trance to somebody like it did to Peter on the rooftop and give him a vision in the middle of the day. But that's not what we're talking about. The gifts of the Spirit in the church, in the local assembly, while the church is going on, there's a lot of people there to where the Holy Spirit would just come over me in the middle of the sermon, halfway through the sermon, in the middle of a sentence, someone stands up and says, uh, and gives a tongue. That's out of order. I'm not saying that the tongue, that what was spoken was not of God. I'm saying it's out of order. That's not the place for it. And the Spirit, Holy Spirit is subject to that prophet. That person can know, Lord, I have this. It's about to burst in me. The Lord says, I know, but it's not the time. You're right, Lord. It's not the time. Show me when to give it. If it's really the Lord and he wants it spoken that night or day, it will be. Y'all understand that, okay? I'm not going to fight over that. That's what the Word of God teaches. So the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not the author of confusion. What was happening with the women speaking, uh, evidently we read it in Corinthians, and historians would say it too, a woman on this side speaking to her husband over here, hey, do you think that was of God? 
You think that prophecy was of God. You think that, and it was out of order. And they're saying, be quiet. Be quiet. Be, be quiet. Ask your husband at home that. It's a distraction. Okay? It's a distraction. For God is not the altar of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. Let your women keep silence in the churches, for it is not per- permitted unto them to speak, but they are commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they will learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home. Well, everybody's not married, first of all, so we know this can't be for every woman. For it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Now, I'll say it again. If I had those, specifically verses 34 and 35, and I had 1 Timothy 2, 11 and 12. And I put those, and if I read through the whole Bible, and there was no other teaching, guidance, examples, real-life examples, then that would have to be our God, okay? But it's not all we have. So it's important to understand this. What do the Scriptures mean? Anytime you come to a, or I come, this is this good rule of thumb. Anytime you come to a I wouldn't say a troubling scripture, but a scripture that is uh, harder to understand. A scripture that doesn't fit in. God is love and God so loved the world. We get it. We understand, right? A scripture like this and the one in 1 Timothy, uh, we say, hmm, there's a lot of brilliant minds. And I will go beyond brilliant minds and say there are a lot of godly people on both sides of this that would say, no, a woman should not speak, teach, minister, speak publicly in the church, okay? And people over here, and there's probably people in between, okay? I know of people, I know pastors, one specifically that I respect immensely, that I know is called of the Lord and godly, and he has a certain view on this that differs from me somewhat, Okay? And let me say this, any scripture you have, any, any, any uh, understanding you come to, you need to be convinced yourself or just keep quiet about it. You understand what I'm saying? If I don't know something, then I shouldn't teach that. If I don't have a clear conscience and have come to an understanding myself, then I shouldn't be the one to teach that. Put it on the shelf, move on with what we do know, and if God chooses to give me a deeper understanding of that, or you a deeper understanding, you don't ever want to say, thus saith the Lord, and you're not convinced yourself. It's important that we, need, we have that. So, what, what do the scriptures mean? Here's the, here's the rule of thumb that I use. What does the scripture mean, and what does it not mean? Because to me, that's just as important sometimes. What does it mean... That a woman should be silent in church. If she's going to learn anything, let her learn at home from her husband. Uh, What does that mean? And what does it not mean? Okay? Another uh, good rule of thumb. This is almost something we ought to write down. But the scriptures that we interpret the scriptures that seem, seem more unclear to us. By and with the scriptures that are clear to us. Does that make sense? I'm going to say it again. These are just general things tonight, but it's important about to us to what we're talking about. In script, interpret the scriptures you're not so sure about or that seem harder to understand. How do I interpret those scriptures? With the scriptures you do know, the whole body and the whole counsel of God. 
with what you do know. All right? I want to give a good example. I thought this was noteworthy. You don't have to turn there. But just listen to this and tell me, if this was the only scripture we had, what would you think? Jesus himself said, and I'll just read it from Matthew 23, 9. And call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. I thought about it. The Lord showed me that scripture. So if I only had that scripture, call no man on earth your father. What do, what, if you looked at the whole Bible, though, from Genesis to Revelation, would you believe that you're not supposed to call your own father, father, or your grandfather, grandfather? Would you believe that? If you looked at the whole counsel of God? No. We see it. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. Honor your father and your mother. So there, what did Jesus mean and what did he not mean is important to know. What he meant was uh, people were, were following their own private spiritual guru. Like rabbi, rabbi, and, and I'm, a, I'm a disciple of this one, and no matter whatever they say. And he says, look, you know, you have one father, and it's God Almighty in heaven. So what, is the, what does he mean? That's what he means. What does he not mean? He doesn't mean don't ever call your earthly father your father. There's lots of other scriptures where we see we are to do that. We are to do that. We're to honor our father and mother. Well, I don't have a father. I just have my father in heaven. But that's not what he meant. So we need to understand from the scriptures what he means and what he does not mean. And the way we do that in prayer, by the Holy Ghost, and by the whole body of scripture, the whole thing, take it all together. I just thought that was a great example uh, of that, that particular thought. So are women ever, and do we ever see women teach, for example, in the church, in the Bible? Do we ever see that? Y'all think about it for a second. You don't have to answer out loud. Do we ever see women teach in the Bible? Yes, we do. I want you to turn with me. Second Timothy chapter one verse five. Second Timothy one five. This is just an, an example. You say, well, that's not the best example, but it is an example. Okay? This is not necessarily the church, but it is a woman teaching a man. When I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelt first in thy grandmother Lois and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded also in you. Chapter 3, verse 15, 2 Timothy 3, 15. And from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Who taught Timothy those scriptures from a child? I say, I know it's just a child, but still, I'm just breaking it down little by little. Do we ever see a woman teach, period? Yes. Okay. Mother, grandmother taught a young man or a child the Holy Scriptures, which made him wise unto salvation. So that's just one. You say, well, that's kind of a weak example, but it is an example. Okay? Now let's look at Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Titus 2, 3 through 5. The aged women, well, right before it says aged men are to be temperate and so forth. And here it says the aged women likewise that they be in behavior, 
as becometh holiness. Pretty much what he says in chapter 2 of 1 Timothy. Not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Okay, that, those examples only go so far, but they are there. Okay, they are there as instructions for a woman to teach. One, we see a woman teaching her child in home. Another, we see an older woman that's a Christian teaching younger women in the Lord. They're, what are they teaching? They're teaching the things of God. Okay, this is how a godly woman acts. This is how a godly mother behaves. This is how a godly a wife is towards her husband. Okay, again, you say, but that's only for teaching women and children. In those passages, yes, that is exactly right. But it is an example of a woman teaching the word of God. And so we know that Paul could not mean if he says, for example, I suffer not a woman to teach. And then in the next chapter, he gives an example and says women ought to teach. You say, well, that's just women, right? But we're just looking at 1 Timothy. He says, I suffer not a woman to teach. If you just looked at that, later there's an admonition indeed to teach. So what does it mean? What does it not mean? What does it mean in 1 Timothy uh, chapter 2, and what does it not mean? It is a passage of women teaching, okay? And a couple of passages of women teaching. And I want to th thank the Lord before I move on. I want to thank the Lord for godly women in our church who serve the Lord. I mean that. I thank the Lord for godly women in this church in Cornerstone who serve the Lord. I would not, I would not, nor would I encourage anyone ever to sit under a woman pastor. I do not see that backed up in scripture. I do not see support for a woman pastor, okay? I would not sit in a, under a woman-led church because it's not God's order. That is clearly taught in the scripture. I do believe that the scriptures teach, I mean, that, that a woman can teach, pray, exhort, testify, speak of the things of God, but in order and in subjection to their husbands if they're married and in subjection to the leadership of the church. I want to say this. This is important for me to say this. We don't have a problem with this, okay? I'm not teaching this and preaching it because I have a problem or we have a problem with it. I'm preaching and teaching it because it's for where we are in 1 Timothy. And I don't want to be afraid to teach it. And this is good for me. And it's good for you. It's good for me to roll up my sleeves and say, okay, for 35 years, I, I believe this or I believe that. Wherever you grew up in church. And I've been around this and I've been around that. What do the scriptures say? What is taught in the whole counsel of God? At Cornerstone, it's important for me that you know this. And I know you do know it, but I want to say it. If a woman opens in prayer on Sunday night, if a woman uh, gives an announcement about Williamsburg, if they're speaking in church, by the way. They're speaking. I forbid not a woman to speak in church. So if that's all we had... They should not be allowed to do that. But that's not all that we have. 
okay? We're going to look at it more. But at Cornerstone, if a, if a woman opens in prayer, testifies of God, some answered prayer that the Lord did, gives an announcement, teaches a Bible study, gives a scripture, sings a song from this pulpit or before this congregation or before part of this congregation, if they do it, it is under the authority of the leadership of this church. If a woman gets up here and opens in prayer Sunday night, they are doing it under the authority of the church. They're not usurping my authority as the pastor. They're not usurping a, usurping a man's authority. They're not uh, having power. That's what that word usurp. They're not having power over the men of this church. You know what? They're actually under authority and they've been asked to do that and graciously said yes and prayed and get up here and the whole thing is under the authority of the church. It's not out of order. They're not usurping my authority as a man or as, or as a pastor. Nor are they usurping your men. They're not usurping your, your, usurping your authority. If they just came up here presumptuously, and I would say that for anybody, just presumptuously grabs the mic and starts talking without, right now the, the leadership of the church is me, okay, as far as being the pastor, without checking with me and saying, Pastor Randy, can I share this? Yes or no, or maybe, maybe Wednesday night. You know what I mean? We'll, we'll, they, they don't just usurp the authority. So when a woman sings a song or gives an announcement or opens, that's one of the big things in our church, opens in prayer on Sunday night, have about, about an equal number of men and women. But I don't ask anybody that I don't think is capable or living a godly life to come up here. So they're not usurping anyone's authority. Now, I want to look, uh, turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 11.3. But I would have you know that the head of every man, so man has a head as well, head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is the man, and the head of, the, of Christ is God. What is that? What are we looking at the head? Is Christ less than the Father? Is the Holy Spirit less than the Father or the Son? They're not less than. They have different offices. They have different offices. The head. Christ is the head of his church. Okay? The head of every man is Christ. The head of every woman is the man. That's an order. But don't you see that we're all under the Lord. We're all under Christ. Okay, so God's order within the church. I want to get as far as I can through this. I want to give some clear examples. I believe, I believe a woman is not to pastor, not to lead a church. I don't see it in the Bible. I do see examples of women speaking in the church, being used to minister, to prophesy, uh, to, to testify, to share the gospel. I do see it. I'm going to give it to you right now. We'll get as far as we can get tonight. I'm not going to go too long. We'll continue next week. Turn to Acts chapter 2. Again, keep in mind these two scriptures that apparently 
People used to say that God has forbidden a woman to speak, to utter a sound in church. What if that if they say amen? Oh, you're supposed, we need to put duct tape, duct tape over your mouth. Do you think that's what God is saying? Because he says that this, that's what the scripture says. Let the women be in silence. A woman shouldn't, it's a shame for her to speak in church. What does the whole counsel of God say? Okay, what does the whole counsel of God say? Again, there were problems specifically in these churches. That's not a cop-out. She said, oh, well, they're just for them. I don't think it was just for them. I think it was for them, though. I think there was a problem with chaos in the women and men, but women being out of order in the church in Corinth, greatly out of order. It wasn't just the women, but the women, some of their problems were, were highlighted. It's a problem. It wasn't of God. Paul dealt with it. Acts chapter 2. All right, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. There was about 120. Who were the 120? There were men. There were women. There was Mary, the mother of Jesus. There was Mary Magdalene. There was about 120 of that first group that literally knew Jesus and were with him and believed in him. And the Lord says in Luke, and he says at the beginning of Acts chapter 1, but tarry ye in Jer the city of Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. He commanded them in Acts 1-4 not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, the Holy Ghost. Don't you, you think you're ready? You're not ready. But who was he talking to? He told his disciples, but the 120 were gathered together, men and women. And even gives some of the names of the women in, in chapter 1. Okay, verse 14, let's look at it. These all continue with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. So there were men and there were women. And the next verse tells us there were about 120. It's not even an exact number. There were about 120. Who's counting? If the Lord wanted us to know it, he would have told us. Didn't matter. This was the early church, but it was their men and women present, they were together. They were in one accord. They were praying for the gift of the Holy Ghost. They were waiting and praying and believing together for the gift of the Holy Ghost. So the Holy Spirit is poured out. They all spake, verse, chapter 2, verse 4, they all were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. We're not going to get much further than this passage tonight, but it's a good one. And so they go out into the streets. It is the time of the Feast of Pentecost. There are people from other neighboring uh, cities and even nations that are in Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of the Pentecost. Okay? And I don't have to read them all, but there were, there were those from Libya and Cyrene and Pamphylia and Egypt and all these other places. And so these 120 go out into the streets. The Lord moves them. Now they're ready to go. They weren't ready before. Now they're ready. They waited. The promise came. Now go. They went out into the streets, and they weren't gibbering, you know, just a bunch of nonsense. All the people heard them speak the wonderful works of God, but they heard them speak in their own language, and they said, aren't these all just local, based, I'm just paraphrasing, aren't these all local boys and men and women? How is it that they're speaking in our language the beautiful, wonderful works of God? 
And so there was, a, there was confusion, but God's not the author of confusion. So he doesn't let it last very long. Well, some are drunk and some are, they're, they're crazy, they're drunk. And so Peter is the one the Lord calls. He steps up. Peter standing up, verse 14. With the eleven lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be it known unto you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose. There's a lot of sermons could be preached from this. Okay, I love the way the Lord brings clarity. He nails it. This is no, not, not that. It's not that. It's not that. This is what it is. This is what it is. And he wants us to know. We're not drunk. It's just 9 o'clock in the morning. But this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. So this is a fulfillment of a prophecy. You're seeing, you Jewish people and you people gathered here for the Feast of Pentecost, you are seeing in us and through us the gift of the Holy Ghost. This is a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, chapter 2 of Joel specifically. And it shall come to pass. What's going to come? This is the prophecy that's fulfilled, that was taking place at that moment. It shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men shall see. They have, they're going to speak out loud to prophesy. Okay? Because it's for others to hear. And your young men shall see visions. And your old men shall dream dreams. And all my servants and all my handmaidens. I will pour out in those days of my spirit. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the great notable day of the Lord come. And it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So the ministry of the Holy Spirit through people that was Joel's prophecy that was fulfilled in, on the day of Pentecost in these 120 that he was speaking of was to bring people to Christ. Whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord. So the ministry of the Holy Ghost through believers was to testify, proclaim of Christ that men would call upon the name of the Lord and whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. There are basically four groups of people that were mentioned in Joel's prophecy. Jew and Gentile, because he said all flesh. Okay. Uh, male and female, he says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Old and young, he says, your young men, men shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams. Old and young. Bondsmen and bondsmaidens, basically. And all my servants and all my handmaidens in the day, days will I pour out my spirit. And God doesn't just waste words. He doesn't just put words in there for absolutely no reasons. He could have just said, I'll pour out my spirit upon believers. But he doesn't say that. He says in Joel's prophecy, and Peter repeats it and says, this is that. He says, uh, your, your, your daughters are going to prophesy. Your handmaidens, I'll pour out my spirit upon handmaidens. He puts those words in there for a reason. They're not there for no reason. Okay? And I'm going to give one more. And we're gonna, I'm sorry, y'all. I'm going to close with this. And D, you can come on up. But the Bible tells us clearly in Galatians 3, I'll just read it. But if you're taking notes, Galatians 3.28. For as many as of you as were baptized into Christ did put on Christ. There can be, there's neither Jew nor Greek or Gentile. There's neither bond nor free. Neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. What did we just say? There's not bond or free. There's not Jew or Gentile. In Christ. Specifically in Christ. 
you're born again, Katie's born again, you know, men, women, we're born again, we're one in Christ. Now, obviously, looking at the whole counsel of God, we know there's a difference between men and women. It says there's no, there's neither male nor female, but obviously, God has distinguished the difference between male and female, but in Christ, you're just as born again as I am, a woman as a man, a young person as an old person, just as saved, just as justified, just as loved, just as filled with the Holy Spirit. You understand what I'm saying? Just as fit for heaven, can share the gospel and lead someone else to Christ. We're all called to do that. Now, it doesn't mean a, a, that, that God doesn't distinguish anymore between men and women. How do we know that? We have the whole counsel of God, right? We have the whole counsel, counsel of God. Man marries one woman. A woman doesn't marry a woman or a man a man. Oh, we're all one in Christ. It doesn't matter. It does matter. Okay? That's very clear. Would you all agree that that's very clear in Scripture? But the Scripture still says in Christ, we're all one. I just wanted to make a point there. Uh, still, God is a God of order. We look at that verse from Galatians that I read. God's still a God of order. And in God's order, though there's neither male nor female in Christ, we're all one in Christ and one body, still in men and women and young people and old people, there's clearly order that's taught. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. That's a New Testament scripture. It doesn't say, parents, obey your children in the Lord. So there is a difference. Old and young, parents, children, male and female, there's obviously difference in different roles and different positions. God is still a God of order. I want to continue with this thought uh, next week. But just so you know, when it says your young women are going to prophesy, prophecy, it does mean one of the definitions is to, to you know, basically speak of the future. Uh, not, to for, not only to foretell the future, but look it up. In the definition of prophecy, it means to communicate divine truth under the ins divine inspiration. That's one of the other prophesy. In a sense, you could say that this message, if it's anointed of the Lord and God has called me to, and it's the truth, and he's at that moment speaking it through me, it is prophecy. It's prophetic in that sense. Y'all understand that. It's, it's a divine truth going forth. All right? So I want to close with that. I know this is a little different tonight. The altars are open. I'm not preaching or teaching this to bring any kind of division. I'm not preaching it to get on a soapbox. And uh, I'm preaching what the best that I have come to understand from the scriptures. I feel like I've just touched on it tonight because I, I want to move forward in it more next week. But uh, y'all stand with me. He's going to play. The altars are open. I just encourage you to come meet with the Lord tonight. Don't let, don't let things trouble you. Don't, don't let scriptures trouble you. Peter talks about there, we, some, certain people rest or they wrestle with, with scriptures in it. It causes them almost to, to walk away from the faith because they, they get hung up on one point and they can't get beyond it. And so they throw the whole thing in. Or they quit going to church or something like that. It's not about that. We're studying it together. I'm not trying to convince you so much to my point of view. I'm trying to show you what the Lord has taught me through the scriptures and through the whole council. I'm very comfortable with it, so to speak. I'm, I'm more confident in it now. I'm not confused about it. I'm glad we're doing this, okay?
I'm glad we're doing this. Y'all pray with me. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. And Lord, we give no place to the devil. We don't have a this particular problem at Cornerstone. I'm thankful for it. We don't have a problem with women usurping authority over men. We don't have a bringing with chaos and disorder and women or men screaming across the church, bringing the distraction and confusion. We don't have a problem with so many of these things. Lord, we might have other problems, Lord, that you're dealing with us about as a body. But Lord, this is still your word and we want to study it and we want to understand it, God. And we want to walk in it. We don't want to be ashamed of it. And we don't want to be impatient with somebody else that either doesn't understand or doesn't agree. Father, I pray for unity in this body, Lord. That, like we just read, we're all one in Christ, Lord. And I praise you and thank you for it. Let's just worship the Lord. Maybe, Dee, you can just sing a song for us.